Welcome to the Faith Broadcast. I'm Carrick Butler. I lead Faith Christian Center right here in Austell, Georgia. Thank you for tuning in today. I believe today's message is going to equip you and empower you to make Jesus famous in your everyday life. As you listen, something good is going to happen to you. So listen up to the message, apply it, and I'll talk to you after today's message. Open your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 17. And as you turn it up, turn there. If you have a physical Bible, you can also access my notes through our Faith Christian Center app. It is the third link on there. You'll see the book of Acts, part 18. Click on that note. It'll take you into the YouVersion app or website, and you can follow along with me. One other announcement as you guys turn there, our 21 days of prayer starts on Monday, July 29th. And so we're having three weeks of a special time of prayer. And one of the things I'm asking everybody to do is spend an extra 15 minutes a day in prayer, especially concerning the prayer focuses we're having. The first week, we're praying for our kids as they go back to school. Our first week is praying over our kids and praying for the schools and asking everybody, whether you have kids or not, to spend 15 minutes extra a day praying for that. The second week, we're covering uh, our trip. My, I'm going... Uh, Minister Dathan's going, uh, Brother Barksdale's going. We're going to minister in South Africa as well as in Zimbabwe. And so we appreciate you guys praying for us every single day. Then the third week, we're focused on more praying for more people to be born again through these three areas. The outreaches of faith, our experience of faith, but as well as the relationships of the members at faith, that you're able to win people through your relationships. And so that's what we're praying for on that third week. And some of you have already received the email that went out, but it's also be on our social media page to remind you of the topics that we're praying for over these three weeks of prayer. And also during these times of prayer, we are having every Friday night, we're having a time of prayer right here in the sanctuary from 8 to 10 p.m. We'll be praying together as a body. We also pray over our phone conference call on Wednesday at 12.15, but also the first Saturday of the month at 10 a.m. in the break room, we also have prayer as well. So Acts chapter 17, we're picking up where we left off about a month ago. And one of the things we started in January, we started doing a verse-by-verse journey through the book of Acts. And so we called it Faith Experiences and Expansions. We looked at all these experiences God had with his people throughout the book of Acts. But also we began to see that the church was expanding rapidly. You know, some people say, well, churches shouldn't grow, churches shouldn't expand, they should be happy with a small number. I don't think you can make that argument to Paul or Peter, or James, or anybody. said, so, well, no, you have enough people. It didn't make sense to them. So we'd be going verse by verse through the entire book, seeing how the Holy Ghost moved, how the Holy Ghost did this. We saw the successes of the men of God and the women of God. We've seen some of their failures. Because one of the things you'll see as you start out the book, these people are clearly human, and they make human mistakes just like us. There's only one perfect person in this book, and his name is Jesus. The other one else are human. They're flawed. And we looked at some of their flaws, some of their mistakes, some of the things they did right, some of the things they did wrong. But also, as you see, one of the things is they're still trying to figure a lot of this out. So you have Peter and the other ten with them and then the person they add and a few others who have some experience because they were with Jesus for about three years. Anyone else who started in the 120 was with Jesus for three years or less, unless they were Jesus' family members. So you have people who've had the most training. They've had three years of training. They had Jesus for 40 days after he raised from the dead. They ascended. Now they're well, what are we going to do? They're trying to figure this out. So they are learning. The Spirit of grace is teaching them and helping them as they go on. And the first from, we looked at the first 12 chapters of the book, focuses on Peter's ministry. And the first part of the book is focused on the very beginning in Jerusalem. And so the first few chapters happen in just a couple years or less. But then we looked at how it began to expand. Well, you can have one chapter dedicated to one day or one week. 
then you can have one verse that covers three years. So now we are a number of years into Christianity, probably about 20 years at this point. We looked at Paul's first missionary journey. Now we're in the middle of his second missionary journey. In Acts chapter 17, verse 1, remember in chapter 16, Paul, Paul and Silas just had a supernatural delivery from the jail. They were wrongfully accused. They were wrongfully beaten. They were thrown in jail. God supernaturally got them out of jail. The jailer got saved. It was a witness to all those who were in the jail. The jailer and his family got saved. The people, the governors of Philippi, they found out they were Romans. You know, they apologized. Can you please leave? Paul left the, when they left the city, they stopped by the believer's house, told them what God did, and they went on their way. So you're in chapter 17, verse 1. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews. Now, these cities really mean nothing to us. It just shows you what road they traveled. So it's about 100 miles from Philippi to Thessalonica. So they get on the Roman road, and they began to travel. Some commentators say it may have taken them a couple days. So what happened in Philippi is very fresh in their minds. It's not a long time ago. It's not weeks or years ago. It just happened maybe last week. So Paul didn't waste any time. He's continuing with his mission. So Paul, Silas, Luke, Timothy are heading to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them. So we keep reading, and we miss some important clues. It just told you Paul's strategy of going into a city. Paul was a very brilliant man. He was a very educated man. He was very anointed. He was very full of the Holy Ghost, but he was also a very brilliant man. He had a strategy when he went to minister in different cities. And one of the things I love about Acts chapter 17 is you see into the apostle's strategy. So it says here his manner, which is his habit. So anytime Paul went into a city to preach, he started at the synagogue. That's where he started from, and that's where he would build his base. So the first thing Paul was going to do if he was going to start ministering, he's finding the synagogue. So he went there, and for three Sabbath days, so we're talking about 21 days, so he only ministered on the Saturday with this group of people. He reasoned with them out of the Scriptures. So what was, what did he do? His opening text was the Bible. Can we see that? You see, why is it so important? Why are you bringing it down to us? When you look at his strategy, later on in this chapter, you'll see he had a dual approach to ministry. So he started with the Bible, opening and alleging. The word opening means to expound thoroughly. Alleging means presenting. So what is Paul doing? Line upon line, precept upon precept, teaching and pointing and proving and showing three things. That Christ must have needs suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. So Paul taught and presented and expounded thoroughly three things. One, Jesus had to suffer and die. Because remember, the cross was shameful. It was an embarrassing death. Most people wouldn't think your Savior would be put on the cross. So he proved why Jesus had to suffer and die. Number two, Jesus didn't stay there. God raised him from the dead. So he's expounded it thoroughly and proving from the Scriptures why all these things had to happen. Number three, Jesus is Christ. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the anointed one. These are the three things Paul hits in his three sermons in Thessalonica. Scripture after scripture after scripture after scripture after scripture after scripture, line upon line, precept upon precept, expounding thoroughly and presenting these things. 
and what was his results? And some of them believed and consorted or joined or associated with Paul and Silas. So they joined their crew. So some of them means some of the Jews. So it wasn't a few people, it wasn't a lot of people, but it was a decent number of people out of the Jews. He preached to you three different times. They believed. But notice, and of the devout Greeks, a great multitude. So it wasn't just some, it wasn't a few, a large number of devout Greeks. What are devout Greeks? These are Gentiles who believe in the one true God. So there are many different races, many different nationalities. They already believed in the one true God, but when they heard Jesus, they clung to him. So these are people who already have some type of background with the word of God. So in our modern day context, Paul is preaching to word people. People who believe the word. That's where he started from. But, and the third area of results, and of the chief women, these are prominent women. These are influential women in the city. A good number of them joined. So these weren't the Jewish women. These are of, of the Gentile female leaders or female influencers in the city believed Paul. It wasn't a few of them, so it was a good many of them that joined Paul's team and began to believe in Jesus. So these are some good results after three weeks. But the Jews which believe not moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows. It actually means they found evil people of the baser sort. So they looked for the lower dregs of society. They went to the marketplace and found some evil people they could recruit and pay to do something for them. And gathered a crowd. So they weren't just a few people. They gathered a crowd. And set all the city on an uproar. They started a riot. They hired people to start a riot. And assaulted the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. So, well, why did they go to Jason's house? Because you don't see Jason's name mentioned before. Jason was one of the Gentiles who believed. And so after he believed, Paul and Silas and their crew stayed in Jason's house. So they all knew where Paul was living. And so they started a riot and they charged Jason's house broke into Jason's house looking for Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke and could not find them. So they took Jason and a few other believers and drunk them to the rulers of the city, crying out that these that have turned the world upside down are come here also. So notice what happened next. They started a riot because they were envious that people were coming after Paul. They were turning to Jesus. So the enemy used these people. And they started a riot looking for Paul, but they couldn't find him. Sometimes when he studied the book of Acts, sometimes they found him. Sometimes they didn't. You know, he's like, well, it would just be good wisdom that if people keep trying to kill you, you find out a high well. Wouldn't you? Doesn't that make sense? That, oh, there's going to be a riot. You know, that's what the enemy does. Let's work on, on my hide-and-go-seek powers, you know. And so they couldn't find him. So the, they brought them before the rulers of the court. They tell them all these things. They said, they preach this message that there's another king than Caesar. There is this Jesus. And so what they said disturbed the rest of the people of the city who never heard the message. You know, they spun it their way. It agitated the city rulers. And so what do they do to Jason? Because they have Jason and at least one other believer with them. It says they took security of them. What is that? They made Jason pay a deposit, a fee. And then they let him go. So what do they do next? It says they found Paul and his team and sent him away. The believers got him and sent him on his way. So it wasn't just they kicked Paul out of the city. 
they funded Paul's mission to get to the next city. Because you have to think, if you are moving like this, you're dependent on what the church does to send you to the next place. And so, we said, why is that important? You'll see if we get to chapter 18 tonight. So, the new baby church at Thessalonica gets Paul, funds his next trip into the city, and they go to a place called Berea. Say Berea. Berea. And you see in verse 11, or verse 10 still, he went to the synagogue of the Jews. Why? This was his strategy. This was his habit. This is where he started. This was his custom. And he ministers the same way to them. But notice the difference in Berea, verse 11. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica. Now, remember, Luke is writing this. Now he's not writing this because he's asked people these questions and is pinning together this narrative. He's there. He is watching them do these things. He says, they were no more noble than those in Thessalonica. Why? Because they received the word with all readiness in mind. They were open to receive the word. And then after Paul preached, they searched the scriptures daily to see if Paul was telling the truth. So they didn't say, well, maybe we believe it because he said it. They went home, opened their scrolls, and said, oh, yeah, that is in the scripture. Yeah, that is in the scripture. Yeah, that is in the scripture. And they didn't do it just once. They did it every single day. And what was the result? Many of them believed. Many of the Jews believed. Also of the honorable women, which were, which were Greeks, and of the men, not a few. So these are huge numbers of Jews and Gentiles coming to Jesus, and these are word people. They knew the word, so Paul went up to them line upon line, precept upon precept, teaching the word. They're open to receive the word, and it has great, tremendous effect in Berea. But, verse 13, when the Jews of Thessalonica had knowledge that the word of God was preached of Paul at Berea, they came there also and started another riot. And then immediately the brethren sent Paul away to go, as it were, to the sea. And, but Silas and Timothy abode there still. So it looked like they were sending him to the coast. But we see he had great results in Berea, and the results of the difference was they studied the word every day to see if Paul was telling the truth. So Paul is by himself. His crew stays in Berea. And you get to verse 15. And they that conducted Paul brought him unto Athens. So the believers take him to Athens. And he gives them a commandment to take back the Silas of Timothy that they should get to him quickly. And then the people who got him safely to Athens leave. Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. So, you know, Paul usually starts at synagogues as he uses strategy, but right now it doesn't seem like he's going to the synagogue. He's just walking around Athens, ancient Athens. is a famous city in antiquity, even to our minds today as Westerners. So he's walking around, and he sees all of the idols. Remember, Paul is used to the Roman world. He's been in cities that have been dedicated to other gods and goddesses. But this city had so many gods and goddesses, it began to bother him as he saw all the idols. Therefore, disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons and in the market daily with them that met him. So before he even went to the synagogue, he was walking around the city and it bothered him how many idols he saw, how many people were given to this in this city. So he disputed, argued, reasoned, and proved with the Jews and with the devout persons and in the marketplace. So notice a new platform for Paul. He didn't stay in the synagogue. Now we see he has a different strategy in Athens. He went to the marketplace. 
How many of you see that? Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and the Stoics encountered him. So the thing is, we just read through it and we're like, well, what do the Epicureans believe? Well, the Epicureans were a disciple or a student of the Greek philosopher Epicurus. They are, he was a person, the teaching is a person devoted to sensual enjoyment, especially that derived from fine food and drink. So they loved feeling good. They loved pleasure, especially eating and drinking. This was their life. These are foodies to the extreme. This is what they do. We live to feel good. We avoid pain at all costs so that we can feel good. Now, the Stoics were members of a school of philosophy founded by Zeno of Sidium from around 300 BC, holding that the wise man should be free from passion, unmoved by joy or grief, and submissive to natural law. It is one apparently professedly indifferent to pleasure or pain. So these are some of the definitions found. So Epicureans are on one side. Man, we live for pleasure. The other ones were like, well, you shouldn't be happy or sad. You should be indifferent at all costs. The wise man has no emotions. We don't react to pain. We don't react to pleasure. So these are two different school of thoughts who Paul is preaching to. And so as they hear him, they say, what is this babbler saying? What is this preacher saying? And Because they're listening, and they say, we just still don't know what he's talking about. And some said he seems to be a setter forth or a preacher of strange gods. It sounds very strange to us. Because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. So they took him and brought him to Areopagus, saying, May we know this new teaching or doctrine that you're speaking of, for you bring certain strange things to our ears, and we should know, therefore, what these things mean. Now Luke's about to give you some context, which is important. Verse 21. For all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time and nothing else but either to post on Facebook and hear something new on Facebook. This is what they're doing. They, this is what they like to do, to hear stuff and talk. What is new? What is new? What's the new post? What's the new tweet? What's the new this? This is all they did. All they did. That's why it was an Areopagus or Mars Hill was the spot where it happened. This was there. They were a city of wisdom. We want to hear the new ideas. We want to hear the new philosophies. We want to hear the new religions. This is what we do. That's how they spent their time. That was their method of enjoyment. So they brought Paul there for some entertainment. Now, yes, they want some wisdom information, but they're expecting to be entertained. They want to hear this new thing. See, people like new. They like the shiny and the new. People haven't changed. We still like the shiny and the new. You see a shiny car go by and go, ooh. We like the shiny and the new. So like, oh, this is strange. This is new, Jesus, a resurrection. Let's hear the new and the shiny. So I want you to notice what Paul does. Because is he preaching to word people? No. Everything Paul said to them sounded strange. These are not word people at all. This is a whole different crowd. So notice what he does. He stood in the middle of Mars Hill and said, you men of Athens, I perceive in all things you're very superstitious. You're very religious people. For as I passed by, I beheld all of your devotions. Notice a difference at the very beginning. Paul, when he was in Thessalonica and Berea and in the synagogues, he started with the word. He started with the scriptures. He says, you know, the Bible says. It says in this prophet. It says in the Psalms. It says in the law. He started with the word and preached the word. Paul, still an apostle, still a prophet, still a teacher, still anointed, doesn't start with the word. 
He started with, hey, I was walking around, and this is what I saw. He says, I saw that you're very religious people. I saw all your idols, all your devotions, all your altars. And I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God, whom you ignorantly worship because you don't know him. Ignorant means you're just uninformed. You don't know him. But you worship him just in case. You're covering all your bases. Like, if we miss somebody, let's have an altar to the God we don't know. Just in case he may be angry with us and maybe we can appease him by accident even though we don't know. Maybe he'll be happy with our altar to him just in case. They're covering all their bases. He says, yo, you are really religious. You made sure you had every God covered. So this is how he's beginning. Him I declare to you. So what did Paul do? Paul reached into culture, pulled an example they were familiar with. He started with culture to bring them to Jesus. With word people, he started with word to bring them to Jesus. Now that Paul is not with word people, he starts with culture to bring them to Jesus. Paul had a strategy, and both strategies are anointed. He says, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is the Lord of heaven and earth, dwells not in temples made with hands, He's giving them good theology. Neither is worship with men's hands as though he needs anything from you. He doesn't need these sacrifices from you because he gives all life and breath and all things, and he's made of one blood, all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth. That's why racism is stupid. And have determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. He's decided where nations should be, where their borders should be. He's decided how long empires can last. that they should seek the Lord. If happily they may feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. He says he's not some far off God. Close to all of us. He's telling this to heathens. If he's close to heathens, you know he's close to you. For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Notice he's quoting culture again. They're poets. He is quoting Jay-Z. He said, you know that J.C. Zingle that just came out, you know how he said we're all his children? No, he was right. This is what Paul's doing. He hasn't gone to the Scriptures yet. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone or graven by art and man's device. And the times of this ignorance God kind of looked over, but now he commands all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he ordained, whereof he has given assurance unto all men and that he has raised him from the dead. Wait a minute. This is Paul's message. Where's the scripture? Where's the line upon line? The precept upon precept? Where's the 38 scriptures to be a word message? It wasn't there, but it's the word. But because of the crowd, his strategy was different. Because he knew these people don't know the word, don't care about the word, so if I quote the word, it matters nothing to them. But what they love is their culture. What they love is what they do every day. What they love is that poet. So I'm going to pull from what they know, and I'm going to tell them about Jesus who makes a difference. 
And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, saying, dude, this dude is crazy. And others said, we will hear you again of this matter. We want to hear some more about this. So Paul left them. Howbeit, certain men clave unto him. So they didn't just believe, they believed. And what's sticking with you, Paul? And some of the, some of the famous ones, this is Dionysius the Arapagite. He was one of the judges on the Arapagus Council. This is a high-level politician in that area, one of the judges he believed. And a woman named Damaris and others with him. So notice, Paul's strategy still worked. Although he didn't use 38 scriptures to preach a message, people still got saved. You know, God can give you multiple strategies to fulfill your mission. See, we get stripped up and we try to do the same strategy everywhere. Maybe he has something different. We have to check in with him. That word people, scripture upon scripture, line upon line, precept upon precept. But people who don't know the word, why you can quote the word to them? So he started with what they knew and took them to what he knew. Or better say that, he started with what they knew and he took them to who he knew. It's a strategy. The whole goal is to get people to Jesus. So if he had to quote Jay-Z, he didn't care. If he had to find something in their culture that somehow related to this message, he found a window into their lives to put Jesus through. He did that. It was a strategy. Because his whole purpose is to win people to Jesus and build up these churches. So you get to chapter 18. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth. And he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, lately come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because that Claudius had kicked out all the Jews from Rome, and came unto them. And he was of the same craft. One of Paul's crafts was he was a tent maker. That's one of the trades he learned. And he lived with them and worked with them because they had the same craft. And he reasoned the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. And when Silas and Timothy were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. Now notice, he's like, well, why did Paul go and make tents? It's very simple. He ran out of money. It's just him. He has no other church to support him. They haven't even found him yet. Silas and Timothy haven't gotten to him yet. So in the meantime, Paul said, well, I do like to eat. I'm still going to be on mission here. And so he begins to pay his own way for a lot of things. And he uses it to point out to the Corinthians later because the, the ch Corinth was a very special location. We'll get into it as we cover more of chapter 18 next week, but Corinth was Las Vegas 3.0. It was a wild city. There was actually a phrase in that day was, if you had a wild Friday night, you acted like a Corinthian. This is where Paul went to. This is where Paul starts preaching and teaching, engaging the culture with the word of God. And then when Silas and Timothy were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. And when they opposed themselves and blasphemed, he shook his raiment and said, your blood be upon your own heads. I'm clean. From henceforth, I'm going to the Gentiles. And he departed thence and entered into a certain man's house named Justice, one that worshiped God, whose house joined heart to the synagogue. And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house, and many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. So even though he's like, I'm not 
going to the synagogue anymore. He goes next door. The dude's house was right next to the synagogue. And in Jewish culture, the closer you lived to the synagogue, the richer you actually were. The more influential position you had in the synagogue. So he moves into the house of a person who already had influence in the synagogue. And the person who's in charge of the synagogue gets saved too. So there's still Jewish influence there. There's still Jews being saved. But there's more Corinthians and Gentiles who got saved. One of the things to tell you is that you can be more anointed in one area than you are in the other. Jesus told Paul he was anointed to preach to the Gentiles, to kings, and to the Jews. Three areas of anointings. But Paul's greatest anointing wasn't with the Jews, it was with the Gentiles. And thank God, because we're all here partially because of him. But when you look at Apollos, he was anointed for the Jews. Because when he showed up, all these Jews started getting saved. See, God anoints people for different things. And sometimes multiple areas. And sometimes at different times. And so the thing is, if God has anointed Paul to the preach of the Gentiles, to the kings, and then to the Jews, then maybe God has a different strategy for the Gentiles and the kings and the Jews. Paul was wise enough to know that. We can't be stuck to the same strategy again and again and again and again and again. One of the things to say around the office, we marry the message, we date the method. Methods can come and go. The message is eternal. The message is what's matter because the message is Jesus. He died. He rose again. He's coming back again. The message, it's all about Jesus. So however we have to present him is what we do it. Because we want people saved. We want them to grow up in the things of God. We want them to look like Jesus. We want them to get raptured. We want them to go to heaven. And so that's the thing is, we have to be open to doing whatever strategy God has for us. And some of the strategies make no sense. You read the Old Testament. Tell Joshua, walk around the wall. Do it again, six days. And on the seventh day, here's the best part. You can walk around it seven times. And at the end, you're going to shout and the wall's going to fall. Makes no sense. Some strategies from God make no sense to our earthly mind. But there are also strategies that are very strategic. And he has a reason why he does certain things. That you'll get, and they are logical somewhat to your mind. But whatever the strategy is, you do what the Holy Ghost tells you to do. Because remember, he's actually smarter than you. He knows everything. So we might as well ask him, what is your strategy here? And the thing is, I know you heard Pastor Andre talk about this a few weeks ago in hustle. Like, God gave you a brain. Please use it. Well, Lord, is it okay if I take a step today? Please take a step. You're not going to stay in bed all day, are you? See, the thing is, God's not going to do for you the things you're already supposed to do for yourself. There are steps you're supposed to do. If you're going to open a business, just don't open it without researching it. God said, well, you're supposed to open this business. Good. Now research it. Learn. Study. Grow in your craft. And do what God's called you to do. Don't just open it with, say, well, God told me to do it. Find out when, where, how. There are strategies. We are Pentecostal people. We are charismatic people. We believe in the Holy Ghost. There are some things he'll do there are sudden. There's some inspiration he'll give you right there at the present moment. But there are times he'll tell you in advance so you can study. I was talking to someone, I think it was earlier today or yesterday, and they were talking about the way the Holy Ghost moves and that the Holy Ghost doesn't always rush people. But there's times you'll feel a rushing in your spirit, and it's because he's already told you about it for a long period of time, but you've been slow. 
And if you don't catch up really quickly, you're going to miss the opportunity that's ahead of you. And even if you miss it, there's mercy. You can still jump in on the back end, but now you're late to it. So you have to get going with what the Holy Ghost is telling you to do. You know, God sent Pastor Andre to preach some message hustle, and then uh, not this past Sunday, but the Sunday before, at the end of the 1130, a tongue interpretation came up about for us doing and stepping out what God told us to do. And the prophecy said a lot of people are on the edge. You need to take the last step of faith and go out and do it. We have to do what God wants us to do and be willing to operate in the strategies he gives us. And then research and study. Research and study is not a bad word. It's not anti-Holy Ghost to research and study. It's not anti-Holy Ghost to pull statistics. It's not. We need to do these things. Because a lot of times we'll put it out on God, see, it didn't work. I don't know why God told me to do it. God said it was going to work, but you didn't do your part. You know, not all revelation will come from your prayer closet. Sometimes the answers you need from God will come through others. I'm not saying turn to others first, but there's times you're praying, God will give you your answers through others. There's times God will give you answers if you research and study. There's supernatural ways God gives information through dreams and visions sometimes. But it'll also go through the relationships he told you to form. God has a lot of ways to get it to you. And it doesn't have to come through the same way every time, the same channel. Because what happens is you'll develop your faith in that channel and not in God. Your faith has to be in God. And you stay close enough to him to figure out what to do. He tells you to do something, you research, you get the strategy, and you step out in faith. There's something we're about to do here. We're going to step out in faith. We're going to do it. But don't say, well, you just prayed about it. No, I researched. I got lots of research and research and research and research. Well, it's just you research. Oh, no, I pulled together teams and gave assignments. Like, you go research this. You go research this. You go research this. Bring it back on this day. Why? God gave us a brain. He gave us wisdom and different graces. I don't have to be the smartest person in the room. If you're always the smartest person in the room, we need a better crew. You need people in your circle who are anointed in different ways than you, who have different graces than you, that you can ask questions and bounce things off of. So, well, God anoints you in this area. That's not my anointing. So what do you think about this? What has God showed you in this area? Sometimes God will have you do what they do, but other times they'll have you do something completely new so that those who come after you will copy. But it all goes back to the wisdom of the Holy Ghost and not getting stuck in one method, in one pattern. Paul wasn't stuck. We can't be stuck either. If the person who God used to write two-thirds of the New Testament wasn't stuck, we better not get stuck. Our faith can't be in the method. Our faith has to be in the message. It has to be in Jesus. He will lead you, and he will guide you, and he'll show you things to come. That's what Jesus said the Holy Spirit would do. John 16, 13. Follow him. Apply what he tells you. Use the brain he's given you, and watch the victory that's ahead of you. Amen. I hope you enjoyed today's message. Thank you once again for tuning in today. You know, if you enjoyed the message, go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube channel, download our Faith Christian Center Georgia app, as well as follow us on social media. And if you want to partner with us as a ministry, you can text FCCJ to 73256. That's FCCJ to 73256. And you can give financially to support this ministry and what we do here in the metro Atlanta area as well as all around the world. Once again, thank you for tuning in today, and I'll see you next time.